Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. Grab a moon pie and some hot cocoa because it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, Marty will tell us about his trip to BGGCon, and Tony will be jealous of Marty's trip to BGGCon. The guys will also review Newton and Brad. Tony wasn't the only one jealous. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 159, Talking to Myself. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. Did you miss me? Of course I did, man. I had to go to the game store and play with those other people. You weren't there to, you know, make sure I stayed not grumpy and oh yeah you were missed posting all those beautiful pictures from bgg con yep you were missed and did i convince you that i missed you no but i had okay, to open up, okay. i had to open up the show somehow well you didn't open up to to lincoln park you know here's the thing lincoln park is one of those that i missed as okay. in like when they were big i wasn't really listening to a lot of new music at the time so i i totally missed the lincoln park phase and i was probably gonna lose me a lot of cred with a lot of people but I, in fact, I had to go hear this song. Curious if I'd heard it. I had not. And in fact, I can't even name a Linkin Park song. Now, if I heard a popular Linkin Park song, go, oh, okay, I know that, but I wouldn't know it was them. Yeah. I mean, I have a CD in the car. Yes. My car still has a CD player and it still works. And I do have a CD in my car of Linkin Park that my daughter bought for me so that I could experience the music. So when I came up with this, it was all about the title more than anything because we got to play brass again. We, you and I got to play brass. And when I was done with that game, I was talking to myself. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought the title was in reference to the fact that it wasn't here for you to talk to. So you were talking to yourself. No, 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 no. But I, that shoot, I talk to myself all the time, whether you're here or not here. But after that game, I was specifically talking to myself. Speaking of talking to myself, what was BGG Con like? It has nothing to do with talking to myself, but I don't care. I'm trying to transition. It was it was good. Um, I had a, had a great time. Wow. Good. I know. Well, <laughs> good. It's, it's, wow. See, this is my, what, third? Third BGG Con? Third or fourth BGG Con. So this is the last year they're having it in the Hyatt Hotel at the airport. Uh, they are moving on to a bigger, better place, someplace that hopefully it's a little bit easier to get in and out of. But it's, it's always a good time. It lived up to what previous years were a lot of people there a lot of gaming everybody was very friendly uh it was very well coordinated it was a good time i roomed with Chaz marler from paradise paradise mm-hmm. and david waybright from man versus meeple all right so the plaid was in fashion yeah i guess Chaz does wear plaid doesn't he i was gonna say that the <laughs> real plaid rodney was in a room with Jamie and Chris from the Secret Cabal and Joel Eddy. Okay. Well, I mean, you said it's going to a location that's easier than to get out of. Now, uh, let's be fair here because there is no easier way than to get in and out of an area than being right at the airport. I mean... F- yeah, well, what I meant was if you want to leave the hotel and go somewhere, that's that's a pain because there's a toll road right out there. You got to get an Uber to get out to get on the toll road. So I think it'd be cool if wherever this new place is, you can just go out the hotel and with a walking distance, go somewhere to get something to eat like you can at Gen Con or uh, Origins. I think, what, are they going to Fort Worth? Is that correct? 
Is it in the show notes? I don't know. You were there. They should have had announcements everywhere. Did you not pay attention? I mean, my gosh, you would think that the place is moving and getting ready to go somewhere else. You would think they would have it plastered everywhere. So next year when you show up, you're not going to the wrong hotel. I would think that would be a key thing to advertise. But that's just me. It may have been there, but I didn't see it posted anywhere. Wow. Okay. Very good. Then. Now, did they have all the conference rooms in the hotel booked for gaming like they did with the previous year when I was there? Yes. Yeah, so they had like a room on each floor uh, that was available to you, except except one famous room, a uh, room on a third floor we thought was one of these open rooms where you could just go in game or whatever. On Saturday night, which kind of wanted to get away from the hustle and bustle and myself, David, Joel, Jamie, and Rodney... I went into this room. There happened to be nobody there. There was like okay. a TV. There was a TV in this room, and there was you know some chairs and stuff, and like there was like a fridge full of snacks. And I went, well, sweet. They they do everything everything right because all the other floors, this same room has some tables and stuff, but this one was kind of more, I guess, just kind of sit back and, and lay back and enjoy it. So we thought. Sweet, let's just hang in here for a bit. We're sitting there just talking it up. And every once in a while, you know, somebody would, would open the door and like look in and close the door. And we thought, well, they must think, you know, there's no place to game or anything like that. It was, it was gamers from, from the con and everything. And about three hours in, all of a sudden, this guy with the black shirt walks in with Hilton on his shirt. And uh, he says, uh, hey, how y'all doing? And we said, hey, we're doing fine. He said, uh... Y'all may not know this, but th- this is not one of the gaming rooms. We went, oh, it, it's not? And he went, no, no. They said, this is actually a special lounge for flight attendants. Because when they come to the hotel, they want a place just to kind of lay back and have some snacks and stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, on tables all around us are empty bottles and empty bags <laughs> of snacks that we've been munching on. Oh. And so he kind of looks over the place and and we, we thought, holy crap, we, we, we were wrong. And, we, and I, we said, we were sorry. We didn't know. He said, no, no. He said, that's all right. He said, just but no, if, if one of the flight attendants come in or something, this is kind of their space. And we said... Uh, okay. And then he said, well, you guys have a great night. <laughs> and then he left and we went, sweet. So we just hung God. out there the rest of the night. Oh man, those people work hard and y'all in their space. You, you're in their area. If they would have shown up, we would have gotten out. And none, none of the people that came into the room to look and, and check on us, none of them were flight attendants. They all had badges and stuff. So we knew they were with the con. But it was nice just to kind of get away from the hustle and bustle. Because, you know, in that big room, it's just kind of a constant rumble the entire time in the big gaming hall where everybody plays and stuff. So we just we just wanted to get away a little bit. No, I understand that. But speaking of the big room, now I saw you posted some pictures, first games, all that good stuff. And now this one caught my eye. One of your discussions was a Davio new game. Excuse me, what? Say what? Rob Davio was walking around in the hall and he came up to Chaz and I, and we just, you know, started talking. Rob Davio is a, a good friend of the show and everything like that. And we like him and we think he likes us. And he said, Hey, uh, anybody interested in, um, play testing a game? And Chaz and I went, yeah, sure. We had some open time. So we went and play taste, uh, play tasted. We play tasted. Hold on. You had some, yeah, you had some open time for like, uh, no, Rob, I'm sorry. In 30 minutes, we have another scheduled event. No, uh, dude, uh, that's, that's, that's a Davia. You don't do that. And remember one of, I think was it our first year there. We play tested Seafall with him. Yeah. A glowing success, a glowing success, mind you. (laughs) 
Okay. Anyway, we playtested Sleep Fall with him, and it was years of development after that. It finally came out. So we went into a uh, back room, and uh, we sat down and, and playtested this game. But it was about an hour and a half. He just wanted to check mechanics. He mm-hmm. wanted to make sure some mechanics and everything was balanced. And and obviously, since it was a playtest, I can't say what it is. Did you sign an NDA? I did not sign an NDA. Tough. Well, Rob is a buddy, so no, I'm not going to sit there and, and tell you what it is or, or what it's about. It's a game, and he's he's working on it, so I really can't say much about it because he already said like two days later after I played it, I said, you know, thanks for asking us to come play. He said, oh, I've already even changed it since those two days. So what I saw on Saturday is going to be totally different than what you know we see in the future, much like Seafall was. So anyway, it was it was fun to do that, and I said, now Rob, when you're ready to announce the game, you're going to come on our show and talk about it. And he went, oh yeah sure so we'll have him on the show when he's ready to announce it and i asked when and you know it's one of those things it's ready when it's ready but hopefully we'll hear something in 2019 well we're not going to wait around for him to get ready to announce that we'll have rob on first quarter next year yeah that's right yeah he'd actually contacted us and say hey uh, you guys want to talk some games and baseball and food? I think he was living off the high because the Red Sox just won the World Series. And and I can understand that. So anyway, I, yes, I, I got to play Rob's new game. Can't talk about it. But there are a lot of other games that I can talk about if you want to hear about it. Sure. <laughs> so just, I guess you're just going to lean back in the chair now. Yeah, I am. Might as well. I mean, I, not that there's any professional jealousy in this room. No, you get to go to the G- BGG con, get to hang out with all the people. You got to sit near the cool kids. Eric Lang was right, table right behind you with Hunter and all those other people. And yeah, you got to hang out oh, with a designer or Keyforge. Yeah, I'm not done yet. Yeah, you get to talk in a minute, big boy. Your BGG con having fun self. The first game we played is something you might be interested in. Railroad Inc. from Simon. Oh, yeah. A roll and write. And I, Tony, I will trains. say. Yep. And I think I actually like this game better than Steamrollers. Ooh, careful there. I think it's a little more, I don't know, it's a little more simplistic. Uh, you're rolling dice that has a either combination of tracks and roads on them. And the goal is to create a network of trains and roads on your board and have them to go from one end of your grid to another end of the grid. And for every point you connect on the grid, you get like a point. You get point for longest road, longest uh, longest track, and everything. So it is one that's probably a little bit easier to pick up than Steamrollers. I'd love to get a copy of that and to check it out. And they have a red version and a blue version. That'll be coming out soon. But Railroad Inc. is one I definitely think your family would like if they like rolling rights. And it's in a really small box, too, so it's very portable. So is which version did you play, red or blue? Well, I played red. So you played the blow them up version. Blazing red edition. Yeah, but we didn't use those special dice. So you can just okay. play just a normal game or throw in the special dice. Okay. Well, very good. Railroad Inc. Yeah, that is, that's probably going to be in the miniature market hold while I patiently wait on the Asmodee um, map release from, what is it called? Map? Uh, uh, oh, God. The word I'm thinking of is they're going to release it from the people to lower the prices. God. They're going... To release oh. it from the people to lower God, the prices. A, ah. a map amnesty. Thank you. Am, yeah, that word. Amnesty. 
That's the word I'm looking for. Amnesty. Yes. I, while I wait on the map, amnesty, um, which I was watching the video on today. And um, Eldritch, some, some Eldritch stuff is there. Some, you know, Arkham Horror, some cards. Oh, yeah. If there's any expansion decks for the Arkham Horror card game that I don't have, and I, I will be looking at those. And interesting that we should use the word amnesty because that word actually came up in what may be one of the hottest games out of BGG Con that's a sleeper hit. And that is just one from Repost Games. Mm-hmm. This is a simple party game that actually, Tony, you and I demoed at Gen Con. Say what? I think it, you and I did it. I know I did. We sat down at a booth and it was a quick party game where you had little markers and a whiteboard. Somebody had a card with five words on it. And they, when they picked up the card, they would tell you which word they want to give them clues for. They didn't look at it. And then around the table, each person would give a one word clue to try to get that person to guess that word. And when everybody revealed their uh, answers to each other, if there were any matching answers, they had to put those face down on the table. So the goal is not to be, they had to be kind of discreet. You can't be too obvious because if you're too obvious, you'll probably match somebody else's clue and give them less clues to use. Once you do that, the person then will open their eyes and look at all the available words and try to guess what that clue is. It's, it's a co-op game. So you start out with 13 words and you see how many of those 13 words can you get. Did you not play that with me? No, you were playing that probably with your other friends, the friends you went to BGG Con, not me. First off, party game, Grumpy no, Tony. No, 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 this, I played this at Gen Con. I know you did, but it wasn't, I did not play this. This is like no. I said. No, okay. you were playing with your other friends. I'm telling you. That's fine. Are you sure? Okay, anyway, regardless. I'm 100% sure, big boy. <laughs> so this this showed up here. And actually, the uh, one of the guys from Repo sat down and taught it to us. As soon as he talked to us, I'm like, oh, yeah, I played this at Gen Con. And it, we had a blast with it. It's so simple. It's like I thought, I said, why has anybody thought of this? This is so easy. Give a one-word clue. Everybody gives a clue and you try to figure out what the missing word is. The, the, the catch is, is you can't be too obvious. And one of the words that we actually had was amnesty. Uh, so somebody picked a word and we had to give them a one word clue for amnesty. I said peace. And I think somebody else said peace. We matched. So we had to hide those. And so then everybody else showed their clue. And he actually got the word, which was really good. I can't remember what the other words were. That was the hit of the con, man. Everybody was playing that game. And anytime somebody was taught that game... They just fell in love with it. And there was a store there called Common Ground Games or Common Gains that was the only one there that had the copy. It's not even officially released yet. Everybody was going to there dropping 25 bucks and buying it. I even brought a copy home to play here for Thanksgiving. See, look at you. Spending the money. I like that. It's good. And my family is really going to enjoy this game. I came home and explained them the, the rules in 30 seconds and they went, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. But here's the mind-blowing part. The designers of this very simple party game are the guys that designed Seventh Continent. I, another game you have never played with me. You really should play Seventh Continent sometime. Okay, so what's amazing is such a deep, deep, integral gaming experience from the minds of these couple guys, and they came up with this quick party game too. It's just amazing. When you're a good designer, I guess you can just make anything across the spectrum. Or they were sitting there trying to relax from Seventh Continent, and they were just kind of doing this little you know, pick up thing. Hey, let's do this. Next thing they know, they got a hit game, especially after everybody talks about it, post about it. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to playing this at our next play date. I swear when you play this 
For your neighborhood friends and your family, I guarantee you're going to pick up a copy of this game. It's that good. All right, we'll see. We'll we'll see if Grumpy Tony can handle it. We'll see. <laughs> In fact, I ended up playing like several party games because they're quick and easy to pick up. We played Shadows Amsterdam, and, and Tony, I'm, I played with Joel, who said, you know, Joel was the oh, this is a code names killer. So we played several games. And I went, nope, <laughs> still not a codename's killer. Not for me. Not for me. That's personally. I just, I don't know. Because even when we were sitting there, I can't remember who was saying, man, I don't really, not crazy about the art. It's one of those things. It's like, it's either you really like it or you kind of nitpick it. But yeah. anyway, so we played Shadows Amsterdam again. We played The Mind. And this is what we created. We played six-player mind. Ooh. Yeah, we played with Eric Lang. Eric Lang was really cool, man. He was just walking around. He came up to us and said, y'all play a game? Went, yeah, sure. So we sat down and we played. He said, let's play the mind. So we played the mind in a six-player. And Eric is funny to play with, man, because we played the where you just don't talk at all. You can't talk. You okay. know, typically in the mind, you could say talk. You know, you go. No, you go. It was no talking allowed. It was just looking at each other. And we actually got up to like six, six, five or six cards with six players. It was insane. And then we played times, times up. You've played that, right? Oh yeah. Times up. Yes. Yeah. So this was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen. Rodney was there playing with this. Again, we had like six people and Eric. So Rodney says, let me teach you the rules. And Rodney goes, no, 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 no. And Eric goes, no, 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 no. He said, I won't teach the rules. And and Ronnie said, I've, Eric, I've taught the rules. I can do it. He said, so we're going to split these up in, into groups, and everybody's going to take two and throw it out of the game. And Eric's like, no, 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 give me the cards. Give me the cards. And so he gets the cards. He just breaks up into two piles and says, here's your pile, and here's my, our, our pile. Ronnie's like, Eric, that's that's not how you do it. And he said, well, I want to play it this way. This way is much better. And, the, <laughs> and then Eric said, and what we're going to do is we're going to have first round where you can say anything you want to get clue and you got a minute. And Rodney said, Eric, you only got 30 seconds. He said, Rodney, this is my game. Is We're going to play 60 seconds. And Rodney's like, Eric, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to take out two cards. Everybody throws two cards away. They get to look at the cards. And then you got 30 seconds. And Eric goes, this is my game, Rodney. Rodney was getting mad. I've Why? never seen Rodney because Rodney's the rules guy. You know, he's always the one that people come to as the rules guy. And here's Eric comes in, steps in and go, nope, nope. We're going to play this my way, which is the wrong way. And I think that's what was eating here. Rodney was like, he's teaching the wrong rules to this game, which I understand if you've never played before, you probably want to teach the rules the right way. But I was just sitting back, just laughing at those two. It was like two Canadians going at each other. I didn't think it was possible for two Canadians to go at it like they did. Just play the game. It doesn't matter how, I mean, as long as the general gist of it's there, what's 30 seconds? Oh my goodness. Come on. I don't know. But anyway, so we played that. That that was a blast. And also got to play, oh, oh, oh. played the mean game of estates with mm-hmm. Eric Lang. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was funny. Eric was metagaming us, man. He was like acting like he knew exactly what everybody was going to do, but I don't think he really did because uh, states is a bidding game uh, where you bid on the, the rights to gain access to a block to put into your city. When somebody threw out a bid, he just put down a, a number of bills saying that's probably going to be the max bid right there. Mm-hmm. And like it got in people's minds and it's like, well, no, no, I'm going to spend like more than that. And the lifetime he would just trick you because he knew you would. In order to make you spend more money, 
Yeah, Eric's kind of a ruthless guy to play games with. Well, that's what he does. He knows how people think. I like that. Get into it. There's more to the gaming than just following the rules, obviously. It's the social interaction, and Eric knows that. Have a little fun. My heavens. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh, Tony, we got a copy of Victorian Masterminds from Eric that I cannot wait to play. Ooh, okay. I know which one you're talking about. That one I did see at Gen Con. Thank you. You did let me go to the Seamon thing. <laughs> I did let you go. What are you talking about? You didn't about? lock me in the room and let me, you let me get out. So I appreciate that. So yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, great. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. Let's see. We got Cryptid to the table. Cryptid was interesting. So Jamie and Rodney had never played Cryptid before. Neither have I. I, I can join their company. You need to try this because Joel and I had. And Cryptid is one of those you got to play about four times before you kind of get it. So... Uh, encrypted, uh, everybody has a single clue and there's a hex board in front of you. And, the uh, the hex board contains different types of terrain, water, mountains, whatever your clue may be, uh, the cryptid you're looking for is either in mountains or desert. Somebody else's may say, uh, the cryptid is within one space of a forest space. Somebody else may say it's within two spaces of an animal space. All those clues combined will point to exactly just one spot on the board. So the goal is, is, is you'll ask somebody a question. Can it be like, I'll ask Joel, Hey, according to your clue, could the cryptid be here? And he has to answer honestly, yes or no. You keep going around and around like that. So there's a bunch of places on the board, Mark, no, for some people, yes, for others. And you try to deduce where the cryptid's going to be. And then you can make a guess. So Joel and I have played a lot. And so he and I, you just kind of, it's a different way of thinking and Rodney and Jamie, had not played a lot and they were like, it was just not clicking for them at all. I mm -hmm. think it's one of those things. I don't think they had as good of an experience. I wish they had. And I, I think it was just because Joel and I had played and they were kept going. I don't understand how you're deducing this. How did you know it was there? And then you try to walk them through it and stuff. And it's just one of those things. It has to, even Jamie said, he said, this is going to click any second now. And I said, Jamie, it will. You're going to play a game and all of a sudden a light bulb is going to go off in your head and you look at the board a certain way and you go, ah, I see how now to deduce where that one spot might be. Well, you know, I, I can relate not having played it. So maybe I, I, it'll click for me as well. I hope. Maybe. Now, we did get some heavy games to the table. Well, before you get some heavy games, I do have one more thing to ask you. Yes. Before I completely zone out as you talk about heavy games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Keyforge re release was while you were at BGG Con. Correct. All right. All right. And one of the things I noticed at our local game store is they had the event that was going on. See, we, we actually could play games while you were gone. You're right. We, you mentioned that. And they sold out of the first booster box there. Yes. All right. I mean, you know, at, on miniature markets, you can pick them up for $7.99. That's a great way to get that free shipping. You know, you're right there. And right now, they're still in stock. The starter... Gone. Starter boxes are gone, but yes. Yeah, they're they're out the door. But I mean, that's a great way, especially with the sales coming up. I mean, you're like, oh man, I'm all, I'm right there at free shipping. Just boom, key forge deck. That's that's uh, you think about that. That's pretty sweet. Oh, you're right. If you're like, I'm just need another ten dollar thing. Key forge deck. Key forge deck. It's eight dollars right there. Boom. I just need to do that. Unlike that two hundred and thirty eight dollar army painter complete set. Did you see that? No, I have not. Oh my gosh. It has all the, who does Army Painter? Reaper? Not Reaper. Army Painter. Army Painter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Army. They got an all their paints in one set. I was like, get out of here. 
That is, oh, man, if I was painting models, I would not be buying that. That's $238. Holy cow. But that is a sweet thing. To, that's a quick way to get all that paint, if you think about it. Wow. How in the world did you jump from Key Forge to that? It's me, man. Did you miss me? <laughs> all right. Well, since you're on Key Forge, that was another topic. So, yes, it was released there. Tony, I cannot count the number of people, number of tables that had Key Forge decks out on the table playing. That game was super hot. Super hot. You know, I told you the store, uh, it was in the vendor hall. It was a uh, common games or common ground games or something. They were the only vendor there selling Key Forge decks. What? Asmodee didn't have a store there. Asmodee had an area demoing games, but they didn't have a, a storefront set up. So it was just this other place. On Saturday, when I went and picked up just one, they still had Keyforge decks left. And I said, um, I had to buy one. Of course. See, exactly. You I know, just it, have it's to- crack. I admit it's crack. So I, I bought one. I said, I'm surprised you have some left because it's been so popular. And he said, well, luckily we thought it was going to be big and we ordered a ton. So I said, has it done well for you? He said, it's been half of our business. Half mm-hmm. of their entire business from BGG Con was a $10 Keyforge deck. Is that not crazy? See, I'm telling you. And I, I didn't partake because we were playing brass, but and I still have vintage Keyforge deck. <laughs> From Gen Con. And they released the app where you can scan it in. Really? As of this, yes. There's an app for it where you can now scan the, uh, the barcode, the QR code on the back and register your deck so you can look at what's on your deck. And you can also start tracking, you know, wins, losses, et cetera. Eventually that'll be coming. But on the app, they show you how many decks have been registered so far. As is, as of this recording on 1119, 95,000 decks have been registered and haven't even been out a week yet. That's insane. It's insane, dude. They are printing money over there. And we had the uh, privilege of actually playing Keyforge with the lead developer. I know you did. That's what was leading this whole discussion. Brad Andres was there. Uh, Rodney introduced me to him because he helped him out with the rules thing. And we hung out quite a while. We was getting all the insights about uh, the games. And, oh, we had to bring up the names, Tony. We had to talk about the names. He went, yeah, somebody should have gone through the dictionary and maybe cleaned out a few words here and there. But to me, that's almost been the highlight. I mean, there are like Facebook forums and Reddit sub uh, threads just specifically for names of decks. For example, here's my decks. Mr. Axel Dart, the Agile Enforcer. That, that one's pretty good. Uh, let's see. There's the Menacing Lena of the Manor. Eh, that, that, one, that one's not that not that great. Ash, the Jailer of Blank Tunnel. Okay, that, that one's okay too. And then also got Duh, the Often Sneaking. I'm sorry. It does nothing for me. What does nothing for you? The names. I could care less. You are a party pooper. I, I'm sorry. Like I said, my Keyforge decks are still sealed that I got from Gen Con. They're vintage. You haven't even opened them? No, I have yet to open them. I know. It's, but I mean, we played it. We played your decks at the airport and it didn't grab me then. And, you know, so I'm sitting there thinking, ah, it's Keyforge. I mean, uh, fine. It's, it's selling out everywhere. Yay. (laughs) Well, it's funny. Uh, one night Joel and I played a game of Keyforge and then afterwards we played champions, Warhammer champions. And both he and I are like agreed to us champions thematically and mechanically is a better game. 
It okay. just appeals to both he and I more. It's just right more in my wheelhouse with the tapping of the cards and the spinning of the cards. I like the theme. Keyforge, on the other hand, is the ability just to open a deck and play, which is also very cool. You ain't got to deal with the whole chasing cards, the CCG thing of champions. Keyforge is a little bit easier to get into. So if you're just now trying to get in that style of two-player card game, Keyforge is definitely a place to start. And I told somebody today, to me, I relate like Pokemon uh, is to Magic as Keyforge is to Champions for me. Pokemon's like that entry kind of level game, kitty art and everything like that. And Magic is like the more serious, mature game. That's the way I see Keyforge. Keyforge is kind of like, has the really, the cartoony more type art, easier to get into. And then Champions is the more, you know, serious art. It's the CCG. So it, it's a lot heavier and tougher to get into. And speaking of magic, somebody went and bought some starters. Chaz and I first night went to Target to get snacks, drinks, et cetera, because everything's so expensive at the hotel. He said, we'll just buy our own drinks, bring them back. We are walking by the toy aisle. I was like, Chaz, there's some magic decks over there. <laughs> and we looked at each other. It's like, wouldn't it be fun to play some magic? And both of us dropped 15 bucks on a starter deck and went back to our hotel room to play magic that night. And let me tell you, I had fun. Not like fun where I'm going to go buy a booster box or anything like that, but it was just fun playing magic. It's just such a simple, straightforward game and the decks were really well balanced. So yeah, we played uh, magic a couple nights before going to sleep. Oh, you're killing me, dude. You're there at BGG Con, all this newness and hotness and you're dropping it on magic. I like that. Okay, what well, you want newness and hotness? Yeah. Underwater Cities. This was a game uh, that was big at Essen. David Waybright has been bugging me since before we got to BGG Con. You got to play this game. 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 It's from Delicious Games, and mm-hmm. it's eventually going to be coming out from Rio Grande over here in the U.S. So we finally got a, a chance to play it, and I agree. Underwater Cities is a solid, solid Euro game. The theme is, is you have a board that you're trying to build. Guess what? Underwater cities uh, on a board that are connected by tunnels. And each of the cities can, you can make plants to generate resources. And those resources can be used to build other cities. And eventually they can be used to convert it into what? Victory points. Very good. And that's the whole, it's a basic Euro. But the cool thing about it is it has this neat action selection mechanic. It's a worker placement game. Okay. Except the workers are little pieces of cardboard, not meeples. And on the board, there's three colors areas that have different actions. There's red, green, and yellow. And to take an action, you have also a deck of cards in your hand and you play a card to be able to take any of those available actions. If the color card that you played happens to match where you put your worker, the card also has an ability on it that can trigger. You don't have to. You can use a different color card than just discard it. But if you do trigger, it does things like instance. It puts it into play, maybe for in-game scoring, or a passive ability that says, hey, the next time you do this, you'll get this. It's kind of terraforming Marges in that aspect. You know when you take cards, you build a tableau, and you can trigger them and do things mm-hmm. in the future? That's what Underwater Cities does. So it's very terraforming Marges in that aspect. But the unique thing is how you activate actions with those cards, and you could double up on actions if you match the color. So in that aspect, I totally get it. I think that mechanism is really cool. The rest of it is very samey to me as many other euro games i get the appeal it's from that card selection mechanic so if you're interested in games like terraforming mars and stuff uh, you owe it to yourself to go try this when it comes out from rio Grande. and it'll be out when yeah that's not in my show notes either and finally probably the heaviest game 
that I got to play at BGGCon was a game that Chris Miller from The Secret Cabal was really wanting to play, and that's Cerebra. And Tony, if for anybody that listens to The Secret Cabal, but they've already talked about this game and they they really like this game and they enjoy it. They've you know been sharing pictures of it and stuff, so they were excited to teach it. Uh, they mean Jamie and Chris, and this is a game with a really u- unique theme. It's by the same people that did Tricurion, so it's kind of it's a heavier game. And the idea is that you're in somebody's mind, and each of you are playing a particular emotion. There's a team of two that's the happy emotions, a team of two that's the gloomy emotions, and then another team of two that tries to bounce between the two. And it's almost like an area control game uh, where you can uh, play some cards on the board and put some of your tokens on the board, with blue being, being happy and red being gloomy, and you're trying to have more of a certain color bead in a certain area. The people who are playing balance trying to make sure that around the whole board is kind of balanced between blue and red. Uh, it's uh, it's a game that has a ton of actions on it though. So on your on your turn, you could take a, any action of like a list of like, geez, it was like eight eight to ten actions, and each of those actions can be upgraded three or four times. There's there's multiple ways to win. There's a way to drive one victory point track, or you could do this thing where you can build up a building in the middle of the table. I'm not sure why I'm building a building in the middle of a brain, but you do. And those give you points at the end of the game. And then there's vi- these victory point conditions that you can trigger when you claim will, which will is a resource. And if you run out of will in one particular area, that triggers a scoring thing. It's just, it's mind boggling what's going on at this game. So much so that the end is like, whoa, Uh, it's like, I'd have to play again to really get it. I think six was way too many to play with. They said probably four was better to to play with overall. Joel wasn't a big fan of it. And I kind of see why there's this whole tech tree thing about trying to, to level up your abilities and do a bunch of really cool things. But by the time we got to the end of the game, there was no way you could check out most of those things. It's like there's a lot more mechanisms and options to do than you ever have a chance to check out. And maybe it's one of those things, just multiple paths to victory. I don't know. It, it was it was pretty wild. I, I enjoyed my time playing it because it was fun playing with all the guys. But I definitely do think I'd rather play it like in a quiet space with just four people. Like if I ever got that here, it would just have to be you, myself, like Nate and Mark to try it out. Okay. See, I can't get past that happy is blue. Uh, maybe I had it backwards. Maybe maybe it's the other one. No, I think because like anger red. Yeah, but happy's not blue. Happy's sad. You associate sad, blue with sad. You mean you mean blue sad? Yeah. That, that's that's true. I that's mean, true. it should have been yellow. I mean, you just destroyed this whole theme of this freaking game. So so out of this whole conversation, I just said that's what you took away from it. Uh, that and the fact that it'd probably take you forever to teach that to me, and I would lose interest in the first ten minutes. Oh, you Tony, you would. Oh my gosh, you would lose it because you play as teams. So if you were I were on a team, I would take my turn. Then another team, somebody from another team would take theirs. Then somebody from another team would take theirs. And then it finally gets back to you. So basically, you only have a turn every six turns. Mm, mm-hmm, mm. Good stuff. Good stuff there. <laughs> yeah, that's right out for you. Woo, I'm, sh- mm, I'm sure if you're having fun with people, in the, you know, if, it's a, if it's a good game, then the, I'm sure that time waiting is not downtime at all. Okay, we'll leave it at that. All right, very good. Oh, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you about the most exciting day of all. Our trip to the Warhammer Citadel store. Oh man, so we started out the morning by going and getting chicken and waffles. Joel had wanted to go had found this place and said we got to go get these chicken and waffles. And Lincoln from BGG, Joel, Chaz, Jamie, Rodney and myself all went chicken and waffles, gear the store at 11 o'clock, and for the next 4 hours 
we spend in the store, this immaculate store playing, playing kill team on these beautiful tables. And there's these huge space Marines over the place. It is, it is a gorgeous shop. They got like everything you can imagine from games workshop. This is, this is the flagship store, of the United States, the Warhammer Citadel store. The only other thing bigger is I think it's called Warhammer worlds in the UK where games workshop is based. So this is like the what the next premier store that has things that no other place has. They got tons of books and models and terrain and all the paints and all this table setup. They have a coffee and a snack place set up where they have, everybody is a barista that works at the store so they can make you a nice little espresso as you're over there playing miniatures game. There's a place where you can just go sit down and paint. It is amazing. If you're ever in Grapevine and you're a miniatures fan, a Games Workshop fan, you got to go check out the store. And here's what's cool, Tony. The manager of the store, his name was Mick, is a longtime and childhood friend of Todd Muldrew, who was a local friend of ours here in the game group. Oh, cool. That is kind of neat. They grew up together in Tennessee, went to college together. He got a job in, in a Games Workshop in Tennessee, and then he got the job to run this store, so he moved out to Dallas. Well, that is just like small world all over it. He was super nice, too. Really super nice. Felt Everybody was just professional and nice there. And, and of course, I... <clears throat> had to buy well, stuff I, there. You, you can't walk out without buying stuff. I was going to say, of all the people, though, I'm sure when Joel walked in, the sucker alarms went off. Actually, Joel may have bought the least of anybody. Really? Mr. Warhammer himself? Mr. Warhammer himself. And a big thanks to Joel and Jamie for teaching us Kill Team. Kill Team is like the quick two-player uh, skirmish game in the Warhammer 40K universe. We had all six of us playing on these really nice tables with the nice terrain. It, it was a wonderful time maybe even the highlight of my trip because we just kind of got away. We did that. And then on the way back, we stopped at In-N-Out and I got an In-N-Out burger. And that's the only second In-N-Out burger I've ever had. Never heard of them. What do you mean you never heard of them? They're like one of the biggest, most popular chains out on the West Coast. Never heard of them. You never been to California? Oh, it has been probably 15 years. Okay, so... There's a big fight over in the on the western side about what's a better burger, In-N-Out or Whataburger, which is also in Texas. And I saw one of those, but I didn't get to go eat there. To me, I think I like Five Guys better, but In-N-Out is more of a fast food experience. It's almost like In-N-Out is like a premier, very fast, very professional Chick-fil-A, but for burgers. So they're, they're like their uh, slogans more like, you know, their slogan would be like, eat more chicken. Right. No, is that right? No. No. It would yeah. be eat more. It'd eat, be, it would be a chicken saying eat more eat beef. More beef. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is a cow saying eat more chicken. So what about compared to a Shake Shack though? I've never been to a Shake Shack. I know. I haven't either, but we have, we're going to get a second one down here where people stand in line, which is ridiculous. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're getting another Shake Shack? Shack? Where's one now? Uh, Park Road. Oh, I never go down Park Road. Do me a favor. Summarize yes. it in under two minutes so I can time mark the podcast so people can skip to just that point. BGGCon was an, an amazing experience. They do a fantastic job. The main point of the con is to get together, hang out with friends, and play games. Got a big gaming area, a huge library, that a very sophisticated system of going in. Everything's barcoded. They scan your your badge, the game, you check it out, you bring it back. Everything that you want is there. Brand new stuff from Essen is there. They have wonderful events. They, the hosters are super nice. Highly recommend going to check it out there sometime. The next year is going to be in a different location. We'll see how it changes. But if you've never been to BGGCon, uh, you ought to yourself to check it out, whether it be the fall version, which is a lot bigger, or the smaller one in the spring. Did I do it in under two minutes? I didn't have a timer on you. <laughs> you said you had a timer. 
<laughs> no, I said I was going to mark the time so everybody can skip to oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, that's enough about my experience, Tony. We need to get back and talk about a, a, a few games. Which one do you want to kick off with? You want to do Brass or do you want to do Newton? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. He says knowingly since it's written in the show notes, but go ahead. No, mm, I'm, I'm pretending because I know it's going to be brass, but I'm pretending what it was like to do a turn in brass. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Let's do brass. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Recon that. Recon that. Hmm. Maybe. No. It, what If I play that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's do brass. TheBrokenToken.com needs to be on your Christmas list, people. Plain, simple. They got some accessories to stuff your stockings with. That person who's looking for something to buy for you, make sure that they have TheBrokenToken.com in their favorites. Shoot, they might even be able to put in your stocking the Gloomhaven insert. Now, I'll admit that thing may take the mantle down where your stocking is all hung, but that's all right as long as it fits in there or just a corner of it. It doesn't really matter. Head over to thebrokentoken.com because you know they're going to be running some Christmas specials this year. Check them out. Make sure that significant other of yours has it in their favorites. That's thebrokentoken.com. Well, if you're still with us, you get to hear us talk about a game that Marty and I both played. Instead of just Marty playing at BGG Con, so I might have some input here, but then again, it may be over quick. And we played it together and separately. I played it without you. We played it together. Then you played it by yourself. So we played it several times in several several different conditions. So I wonder what the outcome's going to be. But anyway, this, of course, is Brass, colon, Birmingham. 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 Yeah. Birmingham's in Alabama. That's right. Birmingham. Birmingham is in UK. Now, I did not play the other version, which is, what is it? I, I keep wanting to say Lancaster, but that's because that's near us. Lancashire. Lancashire. Right. And that's actually the one that I have, uh, which I have not opened yet. But before we get all into that, this is uh, published by Roxley, uh, designed by Mr. Wallace himself. That's Martin Wallace. He's been on the show. For those of you who didn't know that, you can go back and listen to that interview. Great interviews about Wildlands. Just pointing that out for everybody. Uh, uh, Matt Tallman. And of course, a Gavin Brown. So those are the three designers behind this very intricate get victory point game by producing some stuff. And <laughs> if you got the Kickstarter version, you got some really sweet components. But I mean, if you want to learn how to play the game, don't listen to us. Go watch it on Watch It Played. That's really that's it, man. Plain and simple, Marty. What'd you think? <laughs> My God, that is like the worst overview I've ever heard of such a game. No, it's it's right in line. It's got some great components designed by Martin Wallace. What more do you need to know? There was an, a previous version of Brass, but it was Lancashire. It was just Brat. The Lancashire version is the original version of Brass, and they added some new mechanisms to this game when they came out with Birmingham. Well, if you talk to Mark, uh, if you talk to Mark Cole, all they added was some beer. Well, yes, they added some beer, but there's also a push your luck element in the other game that doesn't exist in this game that I actually like in this game better. I think the unique thing about this game and yeah you know from the 30,000 view it's your typical euro you're trying to put stuff on the board that generate resources to get more stuff on the board and the whole goal of victory points it's a standard euro game but in the typical martin wallace flair it has some really cool 
card mechanics where much like, you know, I talked about with um, underwater cities, you had to play a card to take an action when you put down one of your workers. Same thing here. You got to play a card to take one of six actions and the cards sometimes mean something and sometimes they don't, Tony. Okay. I don't know really. I mean, the cards mean everything because without the cards, I mean, like any Martin, like Martin's Wallace whole thing is how he has simplicity. You don't need a lot of text. You don't need to be reading a lot of stuff. Well, I mean, what's on the cards? There's locations on the cards right. or a type of, uh, of resource. And sometimes they're, those are used when building, because mm-hmm. if you want to build in a particular location, you have to play that location card. Or if you want to build a certain type of place that produces a certain good, you play that card. But when you want to do some other actions, it doesn't matter what card you discard, which is why it's important to manage the hand of cards that you have, because you might want to save this particular card that has a location to play it in the future. And you got to decide which one of these do you want to use for building a, a, a network or a canal or rail links, which, which is part of the game. I understand your point there, but I mean, Mark Kell actually did when he, th- he was teaching it on my second play, he did this in under five minutes. I mean, he's played, he's played it enough to where it's like, okay, wow, Mark, that was outstanding. Well, teach me in five minutes on your turn. Like you said, you're using the cards to do your action. You're either building one of the many things that are on your tableau, which could be a factory. It can be ironworks. It can be a coal car. It can be uh, pottery. It can be um, the, the cotton gin. So you, you have to discard a card. A brewery. To, a beer brewery. A, a brewery. That's absolutely right. You have to discard a card in order to build one of those items. And then when you do that, it either has to match the commodity or match the city where you want to place it. And in these cities, those commodities or factories or whatever are indicated on the various boards. Certain cities have two, some have four. All depends. And when you build it, you have to pay your money, and you also either have to use iron or coal. And depending on where it is, you either buy it from the market, or you can get it from someone who has placed it out on the board. Building is probably the most complicated aspect of it because you're trying to manipulate like the buildings. Also, you can build your network. A network of either in the first phase, network of canals, second phase, network of railways. And so from that, you're building cities, connecting them through your network. So at the end of the phase, you can score victory points. Person with the most victory points wins. That's the hardest phase. And that is how I look at this game. That's how I talk to myself about this game. <laughs> The building is the hardest thing. If, if you get through that, the rest of the actions you can do are simple. So mm-hmm. simple. Like discarding three cards to pick up two wild cards that you can use later that let you build anywhere or build any commodity anywhere. Or mm-hmm. better yet, you can pass. I like the pass action. <laughs> Nobody ever passes, though. But it's an action. There's a thing. Everybody has a tableau full of tokens. And I think, to me, one of the drawbacks is the setup. It takes a lot of time to set up your board with all those tokens you got to stack on your board. But those are the tokens that you're going to use to to build. But you have to build starting at the lowest level and work your way up. And some of those buildings you can only build during the canal phase. And if you didn't get those built during the canal phase, you need to clear them off the board so you can get to the next level of that type of building. So one action is just discarding any card and removing one or two of the lowest tiles from one of those uh, industries. You're doing the development action, which also costs you iron. And then there's also, like you said, the scout was just getting a wild card. Hey, 
everything's about money in this game. Don't be afraid to take a loan. You could just discard a card and take 30 bucks from the bank. Now, one thing I do like, Tony, is how the income works in this game. There's a there's a track around the board that says victory points and an income track. And as you move up that track, you're going to make more during each income phase. And what happens is if you take a loan, it drops you back down that income track. So it's harder to generate money. So yes, you got a big wad of money, but now you're making less per round. And typically you get up that track by building buildings. Every time you build a building or sell stuff, it'll tell you on the little token how far to move up your income track. Uh, mm, that was the one thing that kept pissing me off. What's that? Well, you remember when we were playing, you can't, I'd flip over the building, I'd move up four. And, and it's like, okay, so you count on this side, you move up these four, one, two, three, four, but you take a debt, you go down in bigger chunks. Yeah, so basically every three levels only increases you by one income level. But when you take a, a loan, it doesn't drop you three of those spaces. It drops you three levels. So you have to go back up seven to eight spaces before you get back to where you were on that particular level. Yeah, that's some serious usury there. But you know what? You, you had to take a loan. Most people do take to. loans. This, this is one of these things. Don't be afraid. In a lot of games, it's like, ooh, I'm not going to take a loan. That's only like a last ditch effort. No, you probably want to take loans in this game because you need the money to get that stuff built because you got to invest in those buildings uh, so you can generate uh, victory points. And a lot of that's just having a lot of connected networks during the scoring phase. Exactly. And that's the one thing that I kept talking to myself about is, especially after our other play is I was sitting there thinking, all right, you're sitting here, you missed the main way to score victory points. And that was through the network. Because when you score the victory points, the first thing you do is you look at your networks and the victory points are calculated based on the factories that have been developed on the board. In other words, they've been flipped over. And for every flipped over commodity factory in that city, you, and if your network is connected to it, you can count up those victory points. So it's very important to have all that stuff flipped over. And, and that's that's one of the interesting things about you talking about these flipping over of coins of, of tokens. When you build a coal mine or ironworks, little cubes go on that tile representing coal or mine. And during the course of the game, people are going to build buildings that are connected to those mines and they can use, in fact, they actually have to, they have to use the coal and ironworks that is available, closest available to them. And, and if they, all the, if all the coal or token or iron tokens are removed off the tile, it just automatically flips that could be your mine. It could be somebody else's. So typically, you always try to build near your mine so that you can do it. The same thing with the beer works. But the nice thing about the beer works, and Tony, I think one of the more confusing things is based on what type of resource you get, there's different rules. With iron works, there was no connection needed in order to get iron. But with coal, you had to be connected to like a merchant. Mm -hmm. In order to in order to get the coal, with beer, beer could be anywhere on the board. If if you could go to any of your breweries on the board and remove a beer token, but if you didn't have a brewery, then you had to be connected to somebody else's or merchant that had a beer available in order to be able to do it. Those little aspects of those, where do I take from, and what are the requirements for getting uh, iron, coal, and beer? It took a little while to settle in. That point right there is about the supply and demand of this game the brilliance behind the game. Because if there's plenty of coal, then it's easy to build certain buildings because they need coal and it's cheap to buy from the market. Or if people have it out on the board. If it isn't, then coal prices drive up. So it incentivizes you. I got close with that word. <laughs> it was pretty close. It was, pretty, it was close enough. 
it will give you that say, oh, I need to put coal out on the board. But if someone does it before you, then they'll drive the price down. And you're like, son of a gun. And, and you're sitting there playing that give and take, supply and demand. The same thing with iron, the same thing with beer. If there is no brewskis out there, then guess what? You can't sell. You can't flip over a token without a brewski out there. Yeah, because most of the things like the cotton mills, manufacturer pottery usually requires a beer in order to sell and flip it over. Right, because you need to make your workers happy at the end of the day. <laughs> That's right. It was always funny. It's like, why beer? And it was like, well, you got to keep everybody happy. I went, oh, okay, got to keep morale up. You got to keep, so they, they did a good job. They produced a lot of cotton stuff for you. And so at the end of the day, you celebrated and got them a, got them a beer. And if those aren't out on the board, then you got to get that out on the board. And you better hope, like, Heck, that you've got the right city or commodity card. Because if you have a city card, you can build in that city. You don't have to have a network. But if you only have a commodity card, you have to connect to your network. And you better hope that commodity card is in the cities you're getting ready that you're connected to. That's why I kept talking to myself. And that's what I was talking about. There are a little, lot of little things you got to remember just like that. You got to understand the difference between a connection and a network, and then how they differ from another when getting iron or getting coal or getting beer. There's a lot of these little rules that you kind of got to get straight. But once you kind of get a handle on it, to me, the game seems to flow pretty well. And thematically, I thought it, it wasn't like a disjointed experience to me. It's like, I know I need to get this built because it's going to generate some sweet victory points. And to get this built, I need to have it connected to this network, which means I don't have that yet. We're in the canal phase. I need to do a network action in order to put my one of my little canal tokens down. Then I'm connected to that city. Then I can build that thing that I can eventually flip over and get victory points. It's very straightforward once you understand those simple mechanics. It's not that bad. I mean, no. it, it's a quick click for a lot of people. It's like, oh, boom. Like when we were playing with Gaston, um, me, Mark, and Bert and Gaston were playing. Chris never played it. Mark explained it, like I said, in five minutes. And next thing you know, it took Chris maybe one or two turns, which you don't have a lot of time, but it clicked for him. And well, he ran away with it. He, he won this. And there were some things that happened in that game that I realized I really screwed this up. And yep. there was no way for me to recover from it. I was ready. I wish there had been that phase you talked about recently where if you were below this line, you could bow out. So you felt that you felt that if you screwed up in the early in the game, you were screwed for oh, over the course of the game. I was done. Really? Oh, I okay. was. I, didn't, I yeah. didn't experience that. I never felt like, uh oh, I screwed up so bad. I can't fix it. So two things happened in our, in the game I played. Number one, my network was too small or my connections in the canal phase were too small and not enough stuff got developed in that area. Okay. Okay. And so not enough buildings got flipped over. Everybody else scored in the 50 point range when it came to victory points at that time. I was down in the teens. Oh, that was 30 to 40 points I had to overcome. And then when you put on top of the buildings, I'm done. There was nothing for me to do. And I'm talking to myself. I'm like, why did you screw up so bad? What did you do wrong? And I realized that it came down to, well, I had a handful of, of I kept drawing the cities, not the commodities. Well, you could have also, obviously one of the actions you can do is take the wild cards. Once. Wild card location and, and wild card commodity. Yeah, once. Once. Okay, I did that. 
Or at least, or you got to uh, go to the city where you want to build that particular commodity. But if I don't have that city card, yeah, I did that. Oh. I, I did that. I had that city. And then I'm like, okay, I need that commodity. Not a problem. I can do that. But I wasn't connecting the network. Okay. That's basically what I ended up doing is I had a bunch of cities without the network. So therefore, I did not score in the network victory point phase of a, at the end of the phase. Understand. But that's interesting because when you played with us, you kind of didn't do that. You played pretty well when I played with you. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was an interesting aspect because then in the second deal dealt of cards. On the second phase, the rail phase. Yeah. yeah. The rail phase. I got all cities. Oh. All cities. No commodities. And I was like, this sucks. And the cities were nowhere near where I, you know, when you pull your, you pull your networks off, but you're, yes. but you're left with your other cities that flipped your phase, your, your stage two cities. Cause all yeah. stage one, all was, level one things are removed and all the canal tokens are removed. So you kind of have to reestablish all the networks again. Mm-hmm. And all my cities were elsewhere. Now I could use those city cards to rebuild the network, but obviously the network I had in phase one sucked. Because I didn't score any victory points. So after all that, hmm. what do you what do you think of the game? Because I told you after I played, and I played, gosh, I guess twice before you ever, you and I even got to play. I told you it's probably one of my Euros of the year. Was I off base or is it that way for you? Or because it seems like when I play when I play with you is the first time you had played, and I could tell you just were not you were not that thrilled with it. So I'm glad you've played it more since that first time I played with you. It's not that I'm not that thrilled with it. It was the fact that the game pisses me off. Because it penalizes you so much if you start out slow or do something wrong? Maybe, or I'm just, it, and it's puzzling. And maybe that's what that's what irritates me the most. It's A good game is a good puzzle. Mm. Okay? That's a quote. You need to use that somewhere. I think Martin Wallace actually said it. You said it. Okay, fine. I'll, we're going we're gonna to make a mug now. Okay. With that on there. Okay. Well, T-shirt. T-shirt. I can do that. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's what it... That's why... This is a great game. Well, let me, let me ask you this. You, you said that uh, a good game should be a good puzzle. Was it the rules or confusion of the rules that kept you from figuring out that puzzle? No, no. The rules are simple. I'm going to be honest with you. The rules are simple. Okay. It's why did you not get to the network and force the network sooner? Look at where people are concentrating. See what you need to do. Even Mark said he concentrates in, um, what do you call it? Birmingham? No, that's in Alabama. Birmingham. Birmingham. He says that's where he starts out all the time. Mm. He tries to get there first. Because it's the biggest and largest. Right. And I think a lot of things connect to it. Right. And so then that then you question, well, is that a given set strategy? But no, Gaston won. Yeah. And, and you've got all those merchants that are set up at the beginning of the board uh-huh. that you need to have access to to get your coal and everything. So you, you kind of do need to build near one of those at the beginning of the game to make sure you have access to coal. Mm-hmm. Connecting to a merchant is, I think, an automatic two points in your network. Uh, that that scores uh, at the end of the round because each connection scores a certain amount of points. So overall, my quick thoughts. Like I said, it's one of my top Euros of the year. I've played the other version, Lancashire. I like Birmingham much better. There's a kind of a push-your-luck element uh, that has to do with one of the commodities in Lancashire that I thought was okay. I don't think the rules are any more difficult necessarily for this version than it is the other version. I just like the mechanics of the beer more so uh, in this one, I've played it multiple times. It's one of those games I kind of itch to get back to the table. I love the card mechanic. 
thematically for a Euro, it, it makes sense to me. The actions are pretty simple. Once you get a few bits of understanding of what a network is, what a connection means, and how to get your coal, iron, and beer, because they all have different rules for getting all those. It's a game that you're willing. I'll play it anytime. I will put it on the table because I will figure it out. I will. This is one of those games that I pissed about because I want to win it. Yep. I will play this till I win. Just one quick thing I also like about this too. Uh, during the course of a round, you're going to probably be spending a lot of money or money to build things. One thing I like is how the player order is determined. Mm -hmm. The person who spends the least each round gets to go first the next round. So that's also part of it too. You may decide, holy crap, I don't want to be last. So I don't want to build that particular thing, which is going to cost me a lot of money because that will change the player order each round. I mean, the little things like that, I agree with you, but I was actually generating, I had a lot of income and I'm like, why did I not score a lot of points? And in the second phase I did, I scored a lot, but I could not make up that deficit. So that kind of said, Hmm, all right, driving home talking to myself about it, thinking what I was going to say here. I was like, okay, you got to get it back on the table. You got to play. But I will say this. You're, I think you and Mark and everybody's convinced me that the version I have, cause I got the other part of the Kickstarter, I may be looking at possibly selling it. There's nothing wrong with it. And some people prefer, prefer that version. I just like personally Birmingham better, but you know what? That's a good sign to me. Tony of a Euro game. Lots of time Euro games are forgettable. You get it from the table and you walk away and you don't think about it. To me, if you're driving home and talking to yourself, it must have left some sort of impression to go, okay, I think I can figure this out. I want to try it again. It, oh, it left an impression. <laughs> That's Brass Birmingham, a Kickstarter that uh, Tony and I backed, I guess, what was it, earlier this year or last year? I don't know. can't mind. remember when we... Yeah. we it's been a, I, I get all my Kickstarters confused. So glad to see this version. If you haven't tried it, if you, and you like a good, solid Euro game, Brass is it. I'm glad to see it remade. It's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous game. Uh, the action selection mechanic is really cool. So it will stay on my shelf. Tony, If you even if you decide to sell or get rid of Lancashire, know that we have multiple copies of Birmingham lying around between myself and Mark. As you just heard early in the show, I just got back from BGG Con and Portal was set up there selling all their brand new games, including Detective that just came out at Gen Con and Monolith Arena, which was just at Essen. And Tony, I'm so excited. I got us a copy of Amazons to check out. Did you get the amazing Amazons? I got the amazing Amazons. You and I love Imperial Settlers, so I can't wait to try out this new expansion and this really cool mechanic. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad because I'm Luke was there, wasn't because Ignacy didn't make the flight. Luke was there, talked to him for a bit, and he, Luke, was there editing the scenario or translating the scenario for the upcoming expansion for Detective, which has a whole 80s theme to it. Ooh, hey, I finally got to shrink off my copy. Nice. You should hopefully play it soon, maybe over the holidays. I'm planning on it. So that is at portalgames.pl slash en. One of our favorite games from last year was Lorenzo El Magnifico from designers Nestor Mangioni and Simone Luciani. That's why we were excited for about a new game that's coming out this year from them, published by Simon, 
The game is Newton. And Tony, you and I got a chance to sit down and play this game about famous designers and inventors who are going around, was it Italy? <laughs> Doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were going around a map, visiting cities. Meanwhile, their students were trying to learn things and move up a tech tree. Okay, so you're trying to move around a board and do certain things and, and, and get victory points. First off, you know how when you come out strong with a game and everybody loves it, expectations are there. And I think our expectations were pretty high for Newton. They were pretty high just because of the love that we have for Lorenzo El Manifico. Yeah. Now everybody's thinking, uh-oh, they're fixing to really talk bad <laughs> about this game. That does sound like we're setting it up for, for a failure. That's not the case, but we'll just we'll say off the bat that this one, I don't think impressed us as much as Lorenzo. No, I, I don't think it did either. And I think one of the big letdowns for me was there was some complications or it wasn't particularly clear from the rule book how certain mechanics work. And that slowed us down. Yeah, it did. And before we get in, into some of that, I think the unique thing about this game is the action selection mechanic. Yeah. It's almost, um, it's somewhat deck builderish. Everybody starts out with a standard uh, six cards in their hand and you're going to play over a course of six rounds and there's five actions per round. And on your turn, you're going to take one of those cards and put it in your tableau to take an action. And each of those cards is split into two, a type ha top half and a bottom half. The bottom half has an icon indicating what action that you want to take that turn. Yes. <laughs> it does. And it could, oh, oh, you want to ask me what type of actions? Well, you can move on the map You can where you advance your students. You can travel. That's right. You can move your scientist around the map and visit locations and take cubes to indicate that you've been to certain locations. You can do the technology action, which is like you said, moving a one of your students on a different board up a certain tech tree and you can go across instant bonuses that will give you uh, little things like points or potions that can be used to or some money or victory points. You can play a work card to move your token along a track to generate money. And then there's also lessons. Now, Tony, this is the part where there's uh, a section of cards in the middle of the table that you can choose from. And during lessons, you're going to take one of these cards into your hand. Now, all these cards have are much like the ones in your hand, except that most of the cards in your hand have a blank top and an action space on the bottom. What's in the market is the same thing with the action space on the bottom, but usually there's a benefit along the top. Maybe it's an instant ability to get you money or mm -hmm. a victory point or maybe a potion, that, and a potion can be used to do some conversions for you. It's like a wild card almost. Or it has books on them. And that's where we had some confusion was those books. Because for me, this game, when we were getting done with it, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, how bad did I miss this? What did I completely screw up? And that was gaining knowledge because you've yep. got to fill the bookshelf. Everybody's player board has a library on it. And one of the actions you can take is called study. And there's different squares on the board that indicates things like if you've been to a certain location with your scientist and you take the study action, you can take a, a book token from your shelf and cover that space. 
But there's also places with different color books. There's like a green book or two green books or a blue book. Those books must be displayed in your player area where you play your actions. So those cards I was talking about, the top of them, they may have maybe a blue book or a blue and a gold book. And when you go to cover up that space, you have to have those certain color books visible in front of you. And then if so, you cover up that space on the study. And your goal is, is to actually complete a row or a column because they will generate points for you at the end of every round if those columns or rows are filled. And the rounds are quick, right? I mean, we're not talking a long, lengthy game here. Oh, no, because like I said, five actions per round and, uh, and, th- and then you're done. But then something really kind of cool kicks in. Yes. Because at the end of the round, you have to take one of those five cards that you played and stick it under your player board with just the bottom half of the action icon showing. What's cool about that is, let's say I the travel action where the scientist travels, that's the, I, that's the card I put under my board. The next time I take a travel action with one of the cards in my hand, maybe one I picked up from the library earlier, what I do is count all those other icons that are already in my board, and it increases that action by one. So instead of moving one space, I would count the number of uh, travel icons I already have played and increase that the number of places I can move. That works with everything. The more that you can move up your students up the tech tree, the more that you can move your uh, uh, pawn on the income track, the higher level bookshelves that you can fill, all those are based on those action icons that you've already played in the past that are already on the tableau. So let's think of it like this, Marty, for people that are trying to put this together in their mind. You are basically, during a round, trying to put together an engine that achieves whatever final goal you need it to do. Be it put a number of books on your tableau so you can do the bookshelf at the end, or in the map where the students are moving, there are certain areas where they land. If you have those number of books displayed on your tableau, guess what? You can take that bonus. It's like an end-of-game victory condition bonus, yep. Yeah, or, or you'll pick up, you can add to your tableau one of those additional actions, like study or learn. You can pick up one of those tiles. And all, yep. and all that stuff is out on the board, and that's, that is put out randomly at the beginning of the game. So there's your replayability for this game. But you've got to, it's one of those things where you have got to really think forward how you're going to want to do your moves. And like if if I told example, if you have a multiple icons, you can move additional spaces and stuff. When it comes to those cards in the middle of the table that you can pick up to put into your hand to kind of do a little bit of deck building, that's considered the lessons action. There's three level of cards, level one, level two, level three. Well, to claim one of those level three cards, you need to have two other lesson icons showing when you activate that with the card from your hand. Now, you also do have a wild card that you begin the game with. And a wild card is when you play it, you call whatever action you want and add the number of previous icons that are already out there to buff it up, basically. But there's also something else you got to decide, Tony, because you're getting rid of a card at the end of every round. You don't want to to put down five of your best cards because one of them is going to go away. So you're absolutely right. And that is one of the hardest decisions you've got to make because you know you're getting rid of it. I don't want to get rid of the books. I need the books for the next round, but I've got to get rid of it. Well, what lesson cards? Well, we don't know what lessons cards are going to come out next because they all get wiped before the next round. Oh my gosh, where's my people? I got to land right there to get that. Am I going to be able to? You will start talking to yourself during this game. And we did, all of us. (laughs) 
around the table, we were sitting there. You could hear us talking to ourselves saying, okay, if I do this, I got to do this. No, if I do that, oh, I know what I'm going to do. No, oh, crap. Oh, really? You just took that bonus I had planned. There's little bonus circles. When you pass over it, you get bonuses. Yeah. And once you get them, they go away. And then you're also given at the beginning masters, other inventors that give you special benefits, kind of like what we had in Lorenzo with the families that would give you certain benefits. If you landed on a master profile or icon on the board, then you get to activate him. And you got to pick the one you want to use because you're if you get them all three out there, you're going to leave one behind because you get four. Oh, just a lot of good brain work here. There is. Now we'll go back Thank to you. your butt. You'll go back to your butt from early on. There was a lot of confusion oh. when we were first learning this game because the iconography. Yes. And, and what I mean was the, the bookshelf that I'm talking about has icons, maybe one book, book, two blue books, three blue books. And when you look at, we talked about the students going into the in-game victory conditions and you got to meet certain conditions. Some of them maybe had like one green book, three blue books to get into that space. Well, so we were thinking, oh, you have to have that icon covered on the bookshelf and that's the requirement. And I thought, that's odd. You're taking a token and covering that space. So you're constantly having to look under it to see if you can go in there because the icons were identical, but that's not how it works. What they're talking is, is, is when you want to move out into that, your student to that in-game victory point condition, it's the number of books played on your tableau in front of you with your five action cards. There you need like three green and one blue, not that particular space covered on the shelf. Again, it's in the rules, but we were very confused by that. And there were four of us looking through that rule book to make sure that was right. And I think a lot of it has to do is we hadn't played yet. We hadn't stepped through the game yet because as we started playing in round, we we're like, oh, that's what they mean by that. And I think having the game laid out before you, watching somebody talk about it, that's always the benefit of watching. And to be honest with you, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch the videos before. I, it was a Tony teach, so Lord help the people that are playing with us. But even I'm sitting there going, now, wait a minute. If I had the game laid out, I might have better understood what it was instead of just reading the rule book. So highly recommend if you get the game laid out, set up, and walk through it yourself so you can see the core mechanics play out. It's very important. And especially when you're teaching this game, you, in my opinion, Marty, you've got to have this thing so it can click for them. Speaking of Tony teach, Tony's teaching us this game. We have six cards. Tony says, okay, at the beginning of your turn, draw five cards. So we draw five cards because we're taking five actions. Well, what happens is, is your starting hand is all five of the actions plus one wild card. It just so happened the action that I wanted to take was in my draw pile. I was like, bum, well, crap, I really want to take that action. And then at the end, you put one card underneath the board and we go into the next phase. Then we go, wait a minute, when do we draw cards? So we're looking through the book and there's like, there's no place to draw cards. You start with all the cards in your hand. Tony goes, well, it's a deck builder. I just assume you draw the top five and that's what you start with. You assumed we drew cards. Nobody challenged me. <laughs> we thought you read the rules. I did read. But, you were the one teaching it. But Okay. Yes, I read the rules. Yes, I screwed it up. Yes, I take ownership of that. Fine. But in the at the end of the phase, there's a part about drawing cards. And I, oh, yeah, I screwed that up. 
So yeah, that's why we had to go back and play again and again to make sure that we got it right and understood. But there was one thing, and Tony, you didn't get to play the last time I played with the guys. That was very, very frustrating with us in the iconography. So on your turn, you could take quick actions. You can do things, and on the I on the there's a little quick action card that you have, like spend the money. And you can take two action cards from a deck and, and flip it over in order to get more stuff in the library to choose from. Or you can spend two money to increase uh, your action by one. You can spend three money to buy a potion, five money to uh, get a new student on the board, which is the guy that walks up the, uh, the tech track. Here's the thing. All those have a little arrow, like a coin, an arrow with one X to it, and then the action. And you think, okay, that's just one time. Except it says for quick actions, you could do it as much as you want, except for one where it has a little one X in the upper right hand corner saying this can only be done once per turn. Okay, fine. It just so happens, Tony, that some of the cards that you buy have an ability at the top. And I had a perfect example. It had when this card is played, it has a potion icon, the arrow with one X victory point. And I went, well, sweet. I can just turn in all my potions and get tons of victory points every time I play that card. And all of us were thinking, that can't be right because I had an engine to generate a lot of potions. That means I was going to generate tons of victory points. But we were confused because it was the exact same icon of the quick action, which says, perform as many times as you want. And we thought, well, if it's only once, it would have that one, one X in the upper right-hand corner of that card, and it didn't. Well, deep in the rule book, we finally found us like, oh, well, on cards, you can only do those actions once. But on quick actions, it's as many times as you want. But the iconography is exactly the same between the two. And I think they could have done a lot better job on that. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you there because even when we were doing the quick actions, we got a little confused based on some of the iconography about potions and and how many times you could. There, there were just some little things that left us confused. In conclusion, there's some things about the rule book I wish had been a little bit clearer. And I know people say, Marty, your answer is in the rule book. You're right, it is. But it's not laid out to the point where it was very easy to find. Some using the exact same icons in multiple ways was confusing to us. The game also felt not as coherent as Lorenzo El Magnifico to me. To me, Lorenzo Magnifico, it flows. I understand doing this, does that. Here, you've got two separate game boards, one for your students, one for your scientists. The, the art's different between the two. There's a lot of different disjointed things that you can do to try to create the points. For me, it's easy. Lorenzo tops it for me, and I would play Newton again, but not above Lorenzo. If anybody ever said which of the two, it will always be Lorenzo. Okay. And for me, Lorenzo will always win out. It's my game of the year last year because I love it so much. As far as Newton goes, this is one of those games. It's a good puzzle, but it's going to be one of those puzzles games where I will feel like at the end, a piece is missing that I've put it all the way together, but yet I've got a hole somewhere. And I think I feel that way on a lot of games where you have so much to do, you'll never get it all done and it will feel incomplete to me. Even with doing five actions in five rounds, I always felt like I never... Six rounds. Six rounds. Uh, six rounds. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, six rounds. I never felt like I was going to get where I needed to be. I couldn't do enough of it. And how samey is it going to be? Where Lorenzo, the dice 
gave me that variability. And then the, I never got the feeling I got in Lorenzo where I chained a whole bunch of actions near the end. What's a different style of game? Lorenzo's an engine builder, which you and I tend to like, and this one's not. The cards are an engine builder. You're building the cards. No, you're right. You're right. It, it somewhat is, but there's the satisfaction of Lorenzo of getting that engine getting the right dice roll and watching that engine operate. Right. I mean, you're gathering resources and all that. And once again, I will play this game. I will enjoy playing this game, but like you, I will put Lorenzo on the table first, but I will not turn down a game of Newton. Enjoyed it, but give me Lorenzo. On our last episode, we kind of lamented the the death of uh, Freddie Mercury. Uh, even though it was back in 1991 because of the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. And Tony, one of our childhood and adulthood heroes, just recently passed away on November 12th. Stan Lee, the very famous American comic book writer, died at the age of 95. And uh, that was one of those that I knew that was going to hit hard, and it hit me hard. Because, Tony, I would have to say he's one of the greatest storytellers of all time. His character's will live on forever. Especially since they make Marvel a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> Just, hey, the man has a legacy. What can we say? I mean, he shaped a lot of young people's personas. They felt good about reading his comics. They weren't heroes of incredible stature that you will never get to. It's I don't know if it's true, but for me, every hero of his has a flaw, and he made yep. sure they did. It doesn't matter who they were. You never had a Superman, but your Spider-Man, you knew you could definitely relate to him. He was trying to create these characters that you could relate to. In the 60s, he was very much on the forefront of, of integration into his comics. You know, the X-Men was built about the racial divide and, and accepting those that are different. He was, you know, one of the first to introduce a very famous African-American hero with, with Black Panther. He was breaking a lot of... Uh, of ideas and, and uh, norms that a lot of people weren't used to. Heck, even uh, he would come out with stuff that broke the comic code. You know, in the in the fifties, that came out because comics were bad and evil and, and shouldn't be and could cause a lot of damage. It was all these silly studies that came out that I actually just recently read about. But Stanley in one of his Amazing Spider-Man um, episode uh, comics. Uh, did not get the comic code of approval. He said, forget it. I'm still putting it out because I got a message to say. So he went against the grain. He did a lot of great things for a lot of people. And like I said, when you look at his list of characters, Tony, of uh, those that were created by him on Wikipedia, I couldn't believe how many this guy made. I mean, you always hear us talk about him, but you know, I'm a Marvel fan. Always have and enjoy the Spider-Man stories. I mean, we all knew it was coming soon because you kept hearing yeah. that the stories that, oh, Stanley's going to pass away. But you didn't realize that, ah, I knew he was going to pass away soon, but did you realize that it would hit you like it like it did? And at 95 years old, I mean, he had lived a long life, and my family got to meet him. I got to shake his hand, give him some moon pies. They really? did that one year. One, yeah, they did that one year when I was at Origins. Uh, he was here in Charlotte for the Charlotte Comic Con, and they said, we have to go because this may be the last time we ever have a chance to see him. And it was. So they have a picture with him and they actually gave him a moon pie. And he he really, he got a kick out of that. Oh, and over on our Board Game Geek Guild, number 1589, you know, I put out a poll when this occurred about what are some of your favorite characters. It's interesting to see how the guild responded. Over 100 people responded. Spider-Man was leading the way and that's why I put him first. So he would win because he's my favorite. 
Sorry. I, yeah. I, I, hey. No. And, yeah. and then, you know, X-Men, Captain America, Avengers, you know, Doctor Strange. That got a lot of votes. That was pretty neat to see Doctor Strange. That's, that was a weird, interesting comic. It's one of those things that we'll see how see where Marvel goes, see if they continue. Because I don't know. Did he have some direction left in the company, even though he had stepped away? Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. All right. Let's take it up a notch. I, uh, yeah, let's take it up a notch. I, yeah, I didn't mean to bring, bring everybody down. So, yeah. There is a Kickstarter out there. Now, this is a game called Atlantis Rising by Elf Creek Games. They're bringing it back. This was out by Z-Man Games a long time ago. And if you had an original copy of Atlantis Rising, you could have sold it for like a hundred plus dollars on eBay. Marty, I have this game. Oh, it's not worth a hundred dollars anymore because I waited too long, but that's okay. Because guess what? It's one of those games I picked up and I've never gotten it to the table. It looks cool, man. A co-op worker placement. That's kind of, that's kind of itching a scratch. I didn't know I had. Right. And they've got a lot of upgrades to it. So I'm sitting here thinking, all right, where am I? Because I mean, this thing ends on December 1st. I'm really hoping I can hold off on all this sell stuff over at Miniature Market and and get this thing back. I'm sitting here thinking, $69 for the deluxe edition. Mm. For a game that I have sitting on my shelf already that I've never played. But I always wanted to play it because it's a hard co-op worker placement game. Oh, what do I do? What do, you, what do you want me to do? doesn't matter because if you back it, you'll just unback it before it's over anyway because you have buyer's remorse. I'm still waiting on my Fireball Island. I've got Gentis coming. This game won't be out until late. I, I could back it and completely forget about it. <laughs> That's typically what happens with most Kickstarters anyway. If you're interested in it, if you got to play Atlantis Rising and you didn't know about this, then uh, go check it out over on Kickstarter. I'm still debating left, right, heads, tails. Do I do it? Do I not do it? I have the game. Oh, such a dilemma. And then the buyer's remorse will kick in. I don't know. I don't know what to do, man. I know what people should do. They should go out and fill out our flipping survey. Or maybe not after this show, after they said, well, you boy in the comment field, you boys talk too long. I'm not going to tell you what kind of lawnmower I got, but I'm going to tell you, you talk too long. <laughs> I'm going to take the survey back. I'm going to fill it out again. Yes. Come on. Survey's going to be closing out here soon. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Fill out our survey. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. You got a chance at some fabulous prizes, some gift yes, cards, impact. Get out there, get your name in the drawings. But more than anything, just give us some idea on how we're doing. I am loving some of the responses we've gotten on the lawnmower survey part so far about, you know, what type of lawnmower do you have? And some one of my favorites is, yep, I got an Ergo f- mower, but the best part about it is my son pushes it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's a way to do it. Um, surveys out there. It'll close out. Um, when did I say it was going to close out? You remember? Okay, well, it's going to close out probably before the next show airs or when the next show airs, so be sure to jump on that. Really do appreciate any input that y'all have. And our next episode's our six-year anniversary episode. Really? Yeah. I'm not buying you anything. What? It's the six-year. What is the, what is the six-year anniversary? I don't know. I didn't buy my wife anything. Why would I buy you anything? You didn't buy her anything? No. We, we gave up on that. Traditional six-year is iron. Okay. I'll go and find a used copy of Monopoly and give you the iron. Well, there you go. And the modern, there's a traditional modern. The modern is wooden objects. So you just get me some like cubes. I get you. I got plenty of cubes. Some meeples. Give me something from Broken Token. Yeah, okay, that's going to happen. Tony, in honor of Stanley, I think there's only one way to end this episode. Excelsior. Excelsior. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to fill out the survey for your chance to win gift cards to Miniature Market or a copy of Impact 
And in the next episode, we celebrate our sixth anniversary and have a big end of the year contest. So if you got to drop some hints for that person in your life that's thinking about buying you something, make sure they have the brokentoken.com. Crap. I just forgot. Well, the, make sure they have the brokentoken.com. Oh, in their favorites. Crap. Okay. Try it again. Don't forget to add the brokentoken.com accessories on that because nothing fits better in a stocking than a broken token. Dang. Gum it. The brokentoken.com is not going to come out of my mouth tonight. I'm fixing a punt. That's right. And Marty's going to be doing this commercial because I cannot say the brokentoken.com. <laughs> For some odd reason, the brokentoken.com is having trouble, but I do know one thing. <sighs> okay. There we go. This is the one. Brokentoken.com. Are you doing it or me? Ah, uh, you're doing it. All right. Doing a great job. Yeah, thanks. The brokentoken.com. Yeah, I got it out this time. Very good. <laughs> If you missed Miniature Market's big Black Friday sale, well, you missed it because it was awesome. The number of sales and the amount of things they had discounted was crazy. Yes, it was. Okay. But hey, remember when Miniature Market servers couldn't stay up? Yes. They stayed up this time. Kudos, guys. Well done on that. You know, when the big sale offers, well, they, they were able to hang on to it this time. And lucky for me, Sagrada sold out. Boom. So I didn't get a copy. Stuff says like quick. As soon as that list comes out, you got to get on it and on it fast. Oh, and you got to buy it and then put it in hold and go back and see if anything else is left. So that's the beauty of this. With the, with Miniature Market, you can purchase it, but don't have it shipped yet. Just put it in hold and keep adding to it until you get over 100 bucks and get that free shipping, which can be done at miniaturemarket.com. And remember, you can always add KeyForge for $7.99. <laughs>